The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it is great to be with you. Uh, if you are a guest or visitor, welcome. Uh, we are in the midst of a sermon series uh, in just the summer months, uh, July and August, in the book of Psalms. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 125 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can um, follow along on the screens in just a moment. There's also Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And if you came here this morning and you don't own a Bible, you don't have one at home, uh, we would love for you to take that Bible with you that is yours. Um, it is uh, our gift to you. We, we would love for you to have it. But uh, Psalm 125, uh, like last week's Psalm 124, is a song of ascent. And you remember I said last week that the songs of ascent are psalms, 15 different psalms, that were compiled for uh, God's people to sing as they went on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So there were occasional uh, times throughout the season, throughout the year, where God's people would go up to Jerusalem for a festival, for a celebration. And as they were going up, they would sing these songs. I said that this was like the road trip playlist, right? This is the, the Spotify playlist that they would sing as they would go up to Jerusalem. Now, with this particular psalm, Psalm 125, we don't know who the author is. It's not told us who, who wrote it. We don't know the occasion. But what we do know as we read it, what becomes very apparent, is that he wrote it so that as we sing this psalm, as we read it, as we pray it, as we uh, consider it, that our confidence would be built that our confidence would grow, but not a confidence in ourselves, but a confidence in the Lord. And so follow along, Psalm 125, beginning in verse 1. A song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask for your peace, your peace to come upon us, to fill our hearts, that you, by your spirit, would lead us into your truth, and that we would walk with you and know you. And so we ask that you would help us now, help us to see you in your word, reveal, us, reveal to us our sin, and turn us away from it, so that we would rest in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first time that Kat and I ever visited Roanoke... It was in the midst of me interviewing for this position to be the senior pastor, and we came um, to uh, Roanoke with an undercover visit. 
It was an undercover visit. The only people who knew that we were coming were the uh, search committee and their spouses, the elders and their wives. That, that was it. We wanted to come and see Roanoke um, as it was, not as it might be presented to the next pastor. And so we came, and, and we were uh, a number of things struck us as we came to Roanoke. We're coming from St. Louis, right? So we came, and we, we met some of you. You didn't know I was the candidate to be the pastor, but I met many of you, and, and we were struck by the friendliness, the love, the care that we saw in the congregation. We were struck by the stories of faithfulness amongst many of the people. We were also struck by the city, it was a little smaller than St. Louis, but, but a city that was growing nonetheless. We loved the, the revamping of the downtown area, new, new places coming in, and new people from all over the country moving here. We love to see that growth and that excitement and that change. But the thing that struck us the most, the biggest change that we experienced was the mountains. You know, we we're coming from St. Louis, and it it's, well, not mountainous. <laughs> it's very flat. And so when we came, Kat and I, and we we're driving around, we were struck by the beauty of the mountains, but at the same time, we felt a little uneasy by the mountains. You see, as we drove through neighborhoods and as we drove over and down mountains, we started to feel a little uneasy in our stomachs. We weren't accustomed to bends and switchbacks and these sorts of things. And, and we started to feel a little claustrophobic. Because everywhere we looked, we couldn't see for miles and miles, right? Everywhere we looked, we saw mountains. They surrounded us, and it felt like they were imposing upon us. We were trapped inside them. That was our initial impression. Very beautiful and a little unsettling. Now, after a few months and seven years now, uh, our opinion, our feeling of the mountains has completely changed. They're still beautiful, but we're not claustrophobic anymore. We don't get uneasy when we're driving through neighborhoods. The ups and downs are not an issue. And when we go back to the Midwest and we visit friends or we go to other parts of the country that are much flatter and we leave those flat lands and we start to see the mountains rise and we start to see the roads curving through the range, we're not unsettled, but we feel at home. Now, the people going up to Jerusalem, they saw mountains as well. They saw Mount Zion, Mount Zion, the holy city of God, and surrounding this city were mountains. And in other places for Israel, in the wilderness, mountains meant danger. Because in the wilderness, it was in mountains that, that thieves and, and marauders and bandits would, would hide in the shadow of the mountain, in the caves, in the clefts of the mountain, and they would be lurking there to bring destruction, to bring evil upon would-be passerbys. So the mountains were dangerous. They were threatening. But these mountains, these mountains surrounding Jerusalem, when they saw them, it felt like home. They felt like home because these mountains were a picture of protection. It's a picture of protection. We hear it in verse 2. The psalmist says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. 
So the topography of Jerusalem, Jerusalem was a city set upon a hill, a a small mountain. And surrounding this hill, this mountain, this holy city of God, were other mountains, taller mountains, taller hills. And they looked and functioned like walls protecting the city. But did you hear what the psalmist said? Their ultimate protection isn't the mountains. The mountains are but illustrative, right? They're just serving to illustrate where their ultimate protection lies, and that is with God. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. You see, the psalmist is declaring to us that that our protection isn't from walls or strongholds or, or even mountains, but there is a greater protection for God's people. The Lord himself. He's the one who surrounds us and cares for us. He's better than a wall or a military outpost because the presence of God is from this time forth and forevermore. That's what he says, right? The Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. This is invoking the covenantal promise that God made to his people that that he would be with them for all time, that I will not leave you nor forsake you, that I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the promise God has made that he will surround his people for all time. He protects his people and so his people trust him. That's actually how the psalm began. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Like Mount Zion. Mount Zion is another name for Jerusalem, for that holy city, the city of God. And the psalmist is using another mountain illustration, but now he's not describing the Lord's protection, but our trust in the Lord. That those who depend and know his protection, we will be like Mount Zion, immovable unshakable, firm. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But there's a problem, isn't there? There's a problem with that. The, the problem is, is that I don't often feel immovable. <laughs> and I certainly don't feel unshakable. In fact, often I feel like I am moved and swayed and redirected and unsettled, right? I I look at my life and my heart and, and my thoughts and my desires, and I don't feel like a mountain with its foundations in the depths of the earth. I feel like a little leaf that has fallen off a tree and is blown everywhere by just a gentle breeze. I mean, you feel that, don't you? Courageous one moment and fearful the next. Resisting temptation only to give in to that sin a minute later. We are confident and sure. And then we're full of doubt. We don't feel immovable. Why? Why why is that? Why are we not immovable? Why are we not steadfast? Why are we not firm? Well, it would be easy for us to think, well, what we need to do, the way that we get firm, the way that we get immovable is we we simply get stronger, right? We work harder. We build endurance. We trust better. But the problem with all those things is they're all about us. I'll get stronger. I'll trust more. I'll work harder. Harder, but, but no amount of work, no amount of effort is going to make us immovable. You see, what makes us 
firm isn't the strength of our trust, but the object of our trust. Let me say that again. What makes us firm isn't the strength of our trust. It is the object of our trust. The psalmist said it. Those who trust in the Lord. Not in our ability. Not even in our ability to trust. Those who trust in the Lord. So the question is, what are we trusting in? The question is, who are you trusting in? I mean, think of all the things that we put our trust in, right? Our intellect, our bank accounts, our careers, our health, just ourselves in general. But friends, those things don't give us protection, do they? Because we know our minds, they fail. And our money is fleeting, and careers come and go, and health, it will weaken. No, those things are not what we are to trust in. What the psalmist is calling us to trust in is the Lord. He is the one who protects us. He is the one who surrounds us from this time forth and forevermore. And we know he protects us. We know that he is trustworthy because we see it in Christ. Because Christ is the one who protects us, and he protects us through his very life. In John 15, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this. Then someone would lay down his life for his friends. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. That's what he calls us, his friends. And he lays down his life for us. He lays down his life. He gives of himself to protect us from what? From the judgment we deserve. From the death that we have earned. He takes our judgment upon himself by going to his death and he surrounds us with protection, a protection that is all time. For Jesus himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? Jesus at the end of Matthew said, though I go away, right? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age that by his spirit, he is with us from this time forth and forevermore. He is the one who protects us. And that's why we trust in him. He surrounds us with his care. And we trust him, not just when it's times of ease or convenience, but we trust him in the midst of turmoil. It's what the psalmist points to in verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Okay, so the psalmist is making a promise here. And the promise is, that wickedness will not rest in the land. Wickedness will not rest in the kingdom of God. Now the psalmist, whoever he was, he would have known the stories and would have seen firsthand the enemies of God, right? I mean, we hear about them throughout the scriptures. Egypt rising up, right, and enslaving God's people. Um, the, the Philistines coming and crashing down upon them, the, the nations amongst, in the land that were making war against them, Babylonian exile and the Assyrians, right? They, we see time and again these enemies pressing in and pushing against God's people and threatening to undo all that God had done. And yet in every time, God prevailed. Evil the scepter of wickedness did not rest in the land. That every time there was pressure from without, God was victorious. But 
you know, what many commentaries point to is that while that is true, there were threats from without, that, that this may and probably is pointing to the threat that rises up from within. The scepter of wickedness. It's pointing to the kingly power, the kingly office that was abused within Israel. And that's not hard for us to imagine, right? I mean, if we read through the Old Testament, we read through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, we read into the prophets, and that's what we see a lot, don't we? We see a lot of bad kings, right? They just seem to keep rising up again and again and again. In fact, the good kings are so few that, that it's an anomaly. It's like, wow, this is a turn in the story. This is beautiful, because we expect bad king, because that's what we have, is bad king, one after another. Kings who turned to foreign gods and away from the Lord. Kings who led the people astray, who instead of bearing the scepter of righteousness, bore the scepter of wickedness. They ruled with evil and turned to idolatry, and the people followed. Because as the king went, so went the people. And yet, do you hear the promise of the psalmist? Even in turmoil, turmoil not just from without, but from within, wicked and evil won't rest. That language of rest, it means to settle down, to remain. That yes, there might be wickedness and evil that arises, and it it might take a foothold, but it will not win. The promise is that it won't be victorious, that it will not rest. The promise is that we are to trust that the turmoil is but for a moment. And that might be hard for us to hear because we see evil and wickedness all around us. And when you are observant and you, you see it and you experience it and it feels like it's surrounding you, it doesn't feel like a moment. And it feels like it's surrounding you more than the Lord is. And yet, God has promised that it will one day end. That evil will be done away with. That wickedness will not win. Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not win. The power of evil will not prevail. The scepter of wickedness won't rest because God will defeat it. And we know he will defeat it because he has begun that defeat in Christ. Yes, he gave his life, but he rose again, defeating death and hell and the grave, and he's going to return. And in his return, evil and wickedness will be no more. The kingdom of God will be victorious. That is the promise. And so when we are faced with wickedness and turmoil, the psalmist calls us to trust and to turn to God in prayer. That's how our passage ends. The psalmist is no longer talking to Israel, but in the last couple of verses, he turns his attention to God in prayer. He says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. So there's a couple things the psalmist is praying for. One is judgment. Did you see it? He's praying that judgment and justice would come upon the evildoer, that the Lord will lead away with the evildoers. 
To lead away, it means the Lord is purging evil and wickedness from his people. That's one request. But the other request is that for good to come and God to bring peace. That word peace is that word shalom. Right? And shalom in the Bible, it's not simply an absence of violence or turmoil, but shalom is flourishing. It's flourishing. It means that, that we would experience the peace of God in such a way so that as individuals and as a community, we would, we would live as we were intended to live. That, that we would flourish in all of our ways because we would be following God in righteousness and holiness. That we would dwell in his presence and we would pursue good. It is a beautiful picture of what God intends for his people. And yet, maybe the beauty is dulled in our minds just a little bit. Maybe it's dulled just a little bit because we read the request and the psalmist says, do good to those who are good. And I look at myself and my thoughts and my sins and they are not good. We know all the ways that we are not good, don't we? I mean, sure, we can hide them from one another. We can look pretty good, especially on a Sunday morning, right, where we can, can keep it together for an hour, maybe an hour and a half, right? We can look pretty good. But we know. We know we've fallen short. We know all the ways we have turned aside. We know the sin that has been left unchecked in our hearts, and not just unchecked, but the sin that we've massaged and we've, we've sought to grow and to flourish, that we've held on to. No, good and righteous, those are not words that we ascribe to ourselves. We know that we can't stand before God claiming our own goodness. We can't stand before God and say, do good to those who are good, and I am one of them, because we know we are not good. No, we stand before God not claiming our goodness. We stand before God claiming the goodness of another. You see, time and again, the Bible tells us that our standing before God is not based on our goodness or our righteousness, but it is based only on Christ's. In Romans chapter 5, we're told that we are those who have received the free gift of righteousness through Jesus. In, Ro in Philippians chapter 3, we're told that we have a righteousness not of our own, but that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, what we are told again and again is that we do not stand before God claiming our righteousness, claiming our goodness, but Jesus stands on our behalf. He stands before us, before the Father, claiming his righteousness for us. So that we can say, do good to those who are good and those who are good only because of the goodness of Christ. Our security doesn't come from ourselves but it comes from God because he is the one who despite our failings and because of his righteousness, he gives us peace. Peace and shalom, that is not founded on our own. That is not discovered by our own searching. That comes only from the righteousness of Christ. And so when Israel saw those mountains, 
And when they sang this song, even though they knew evil, even though there was turmoil, they were driven to prayer and they trusted in God because they knew that he was their protection. And he's not just their protection, he's ours. And so he is the one that we trust. He is the one who surrounds us from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that through Jesus, we can stand before you, not claiming our own goodness or our own righteousness, but claiming the righteousness of Christ, our perfect Savior, the one who kept the whole law and went to the cross and took our sin upon himself, the one who rose in victory over the grave, the one who ascended on high and surrounds us with love and care and protection. And so we pray that today and all of our days, we would trust in you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. And God's people said together, amen.